Well, I know this. Um, Rick Warren said it this way one time about discouragement. He was talking about discouragement. He said it's one of man's most deadly diseases. It's a disease, discouragement. It is worse than MS. It's worse than polio. It's worse than AIDS because it's universal. Everyone gets it. Not only is it universal, but it's highly contagious. All you have to do is be around somebody that's discouraged, and before long, you can get discouraged also. I also think discouragement is one of Satan's most useful tools. And we don't, I don't want to give him credit, but we don't give him enough credit on this one, that he uses discouragement against us over and over and over again. I think we overlook it as a spiritual warfare thing that we've got to get a handle on. Personally, when I get discouraged, I'm, I'm moody. I'm hard to get along with. Um, I, I question those around me. I question God. And then I try and get up for the day, you know, and start my day. I try and get out of bed when that happens. And it happens early on in, in our days, doesn't it? You can get discouraged fairly quickly, and it just can wreck your whole day. And you're questioning God throughout all of that. And for you, what does it take? What does it take to get discouraged for you? Fear, frustration, tiredness. A failure, maybe it's a work situation, maybe it's a loss of a job, maybe it's even harsh words from a friend. Even if, even if they're a good friend and their words are true, it can bring discouragement to you. And sometimes it comes after a big win or a big weekend. Maybe you're riding high from a great weekend or you've had a great week or maybe it's a whole season in your life and you've had a great year. Everything's gone well, but you just kind of come down off of that high and you're, you're still good. Like you're still average. Everything is riding pretty good. But just because you weren't where you were, you can start to get discouraged. So discouragement can come just because you've come down off of a, a high. And Abraham Lincoln said it this way one time. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. Uh, to remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better. Abraham Lincoln said that. Bible characters, they get discouraged. Jonah just witnessed to the whole town of Nineveh, saved the whole town, and he was sitting under a tree just complaining he was discouraged. Elijah in the desert. Moses, when he was leading the people away from slavery, got discouraged. Joshua, David, the disciples. I even believe Jesus had a period um, through his life while he was here with us that he felt discouragement. And there's different levels. There's so many different levels of discouragement from brushing your teeth to terrorist attacks Robert Fulgram once said, I know that there's a difference between a lump in your oatmeal and a lump in your throat and a lump in your breast. They're not the same thing. But it's not a sin. Discouragement, to be discouraged is not a sin. And not all the time are you discouraged because of a sin. It's not always brought on by sin. But the question is not, why has God allowed this to me? It's not, why did God put me in this situation? The question really should be, what do I do when I get discouraged? How do I overcome that? How do I break out of this feeling of discouragement? So I always like when, when I'm preaching, I don't like to preach about the negative stuff. So I don't want to preach about discouragement today. I want to talk about encouragement. So how can we be encouraged? And that will help us with that. And Paul did a great job of this. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Philippians. We've spent the whole summer in Philippians. We're getting to the end of this. Philippians chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on either side of the room you can grab or your phones. Get your phones open, um, your Bible app. Philippians chapter four. And Paul is closing up this letter to them, I think with just a shot in the arm. He's saying, come on church, you can do this. You guys have a mission. And here's the deal, don't get discouraged. Let's talk about this encouragement thing. So he says it this way. Step one in finding encouragement is to be content. 
to be content. Let's start in verse 10 of chapter four. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He he had been away from them for a while and they finally made a reconnection um, here. He says, now that I am speaking of being in need, sorry, not that I'm speaking of being in need, which is funny because he's writing this from prison. I really think Paul was in need when he was writing um, this passage, when he was writing this letter to them. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, because I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, absence, and need. Sorry, abundance and need. He gets it. He's been up, he's been down, he's, he's had enough, he's not had enough. He's, he's been all over the place. And he's saying, I've learned how to be content. Now, parents, some of you, I know you did this. Um, I've watched some of you do this. April and I did this when our kids were young, when they were babies starting to grow. Many of you taught your kids sign language. Well, it's not that you're trying to teach them sign language, but you taught them a few little words, right? Because they could learn actions before they could learn how to speak. So we would teach them words. And a few of the little words that we would teach them, one was this. Somebody know this? Please, right? We would say please, but we'd have to do it this way over and over and over again. Say please, right? Say please, either a little circle motion or your hand across your chest. Say please, we have to do it again. Say please, come on, you can do it. Say please, and over and over, we finally taught. Here's another one. Does anybody know this one? Thank you. Thank you. Say thank you, right? And we had teach them over and over. Finally got them after we gave them something to be nice, courteous, say thank you, and we'd go on and on and on like this. Here's another one we taught them. You guys know this one? More. I think we taught them once to do this, <laughs> and they got it, right? More, give me more, I want more. Um, whatever it was, except peas and carrots, it was never, you know, more. It was always the extra, read the story again, do it again, give me more, can you show me more? And they would do this over and over. Here's one, though, that we never taught them, it, and it's this. Does anybody know this one? Right, yeah, satisfied, I'm, I'm full, I'm good, content. I'm content. I'm okay. Here's the deal that I watch, though. As adults, you know what? We don't know this one. As we grow older, even as kids, we grow up, you know what we do? We want more. Wherever it is, whatever we're doing, whatever we have, we learned this one early, and we learned it good, and we always want just a little bit more. We're always doing this one and not this one. And I think that Paul, as he was writing this, taught us a huge lesson in this. In every situation, he says, I've learned to be content. And the way he wrote that, I'm so glad he did because the way he says it, it's a learned thing. It doesn't come natural for us. Contentment isn't something where I say, oh yeah, that's easy for me. No, I've got to practice this. I have to learn it over and over and over because it's not based on my surroundings. It's not based on what's happening to me or around me. It's based on what comes out of me. So it's not, you know, what is happening to me. It's not based on my bank account or the mechanical reliability of my car. It's not based on the strength of the stock market or the housing market. It's not based on the prognosis from the doctor. It's not based on the shape of my body. It's based on what comes out of me. 
not what's happening to me. The things on the outside cannot bring me contentment. You know why? Because I always want something more than what I have. Here's the worst part, and I play this game really good. I'm good at this game. I know some of you are as well. It's the comparison game. So we always like to compare what we have to what other people have. And I know I'm, this is the part I'm really good at. When I play this comparison game, I always compare up. I never, rarely, rarely do I compare down, but I always compare up. So if we ever go look at homes, you know, we're like, let's go look at houses. Where do we go? The nicer neighborhoods, but just, just one up from where we're at, right? And then we drive around and we look at those homes and we're like, but those people probably drive around at, to other neighborhoods and look around. And, but they always compare up. It's whatever somebody else has. And the worst part about this game that we play says somebody always has more. Somebody somewhere always has more money or more of a house or more of a car or they're better looking or their career or whatever it is. We can always find somebody that has more, which means I can never win at this game of comparison. I can never win until I learn how to be content with what I do have. Therefore, it can bring some encouragement when I am content with what I have. Otherwise, I'm going to be discouraged all the time when I play this game. And then Paul jumps into this, and he jumps right into my attitude. My attitude. (laughs) Right? He says it this way, you know, choose a positive attitude. This is the way I read it for us. And this is easier said than done. Choose a positive attitude, especially... This is easier said than done, especially when you're the one struggling with encouragement and you're discouraged and someone comes along to you and says, hey, you need to work on your attitude. You need an attitude adjustment. I like to say it this way, right? I got your attitude adjustment, right? I got it right here. Let's work on it together, okay? I got your attitude adjustment. Um, Charles Swindoll, some of you have read this quote before. You know this quote. Some of you, I've used it before. You've heard me say it before. Um, but he had, he had a great way of explaining this. He says it this way, Charles Swindoll. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures and success and what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, than giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for the day. We cannot change our past, nor can we change the fact that people will act a certain way. We also cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. We can't choose how many years we live, but we can choose how, many, how much life those years have. We can't control the beauty on our face, but we can control the expression on it. We can't control life's difficult moments, but we can choose to make life less difficult We can't control the the negative atmosphere of the world, but we can control the atmosphere of our minds. And too often, I want to control everything that I can't. And too seldom, I try to control the things that I can, which is my attitude. 
We learned about this last week. Last week we talked about it, how it all begins with how you think. It starts with your thinking and your, your, what, how you think about a situation. So if you came in here this morning thinking, this is going to be a waste of my time. I don't know why I come in here. It's never, ever any good. There's so many problems at this church. We can never get anything done. It, you're going to walk out of here with nothing. In fact, you might walk out of here even more frustrated than when you came in. But if you walk in here thinking, you know what? We have the best worship team in town. This is great. I love worshiping here at this church. Our children's ministry is out of this world. I love the way our teachers love on my kids. We have a great youth group. We're sending 40 of them to camp this week. This is a great place. The preaching's okay, so I hope I can get something out of it. You know, if you walk in with that attitude, thinking you're going to learn one thing, guess what? I believe you're going to walk out of here with something. God's going to bless you somehow because of the way you're approaching it. Albert Einstein once said, I love this quote, I've not failed. I've only found 10,000 reasons that don't work. (laughs) How are you approaching your life? How are you thinking about it? I believe that all of the, the soldiers, when they were standing around young David, when they were looking at Goliath, I believe all these soldiers looked at Goliath and said, oh, he is big. He can hurt us. I believe David stepped up and thought, Goliath, he's so big, dude, I can't miss him. (laughs) And he let the rock fly. And Paul writes to this little church in Philippi, and he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Break that one down. Just that verse by itself. You break that down and watch how it goes. I can, that's positive thinking, I can do, that's positive action. I can do all things, everything, which is positive faith. I can do everything through Christ, and that's positive power. I mean, seriously, we put those things together. Positive power, positive faith, our actions, our thinking. What's stopping you then? Then why would you be discouraged about anything? I love this little poem as well. If you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win but think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. Life's little battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. So where are you thinking? What's behind the thought process of your negativity or your discouragement? Change the way you think and see what God can do with you, and then do this. This is how Paul continues. He says, find, find a good friend. Find somebody who can come beside you. Verse 14, let's read on. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. <laughs> That's always nice, isn't it? When you're in trouble, who, who, you know who your good friends are when you're in trouble, don't you? They're the ones that come around. When you need something, those are your good friends. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I see that as he writes it, thanking them for their friendship and being a good friend to him. And one of the easiest ways I believe to be discouraged is to spend time alone. If you're discouraged, don't go spend time alone. If you're discouraged, you need a friend to come around you. 
And the best way to find a good friend, you guys know this? You know this, right? It's to be a friend. Don't just wait for someone to come to you. You reach out. You be a friend to them, and I believe God will bless that. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love other people and watch what God can do. You can't light somebody else's candle without yours getting a little brighter also. I used to have it in my office. Um, It's still there, but it's shifted. It used to be a folder in my filing cabinet back when we had files and filing cabinets, right? Um, I still have this folder, but it's shifted to um, online and and computer files. And I've got it in different places through saved emails, some things sitting around my desk. But it was a file that I used to, that I had titled, Why I'm Still in the Ministry. There was a lot of letters, a lot of little notes, a lot of little cards, many of them from people in this church just saying thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for what you said. Thank you for being a friend. And I'd keep those. And during those times when I was feeling discouraged, instead of having a pity party, which sometimes I did, um, I would pull those cards and letters and notes out and read through them. And some of you have this gift. I think it's a spiritual gift encouragement. Some of you don't, and that's okay, but you can still do it. It might take a little more work. It might not come as natural, but you can still encourage other people if you try at it. David had Jonathan. Uh, Paul had Barnabas and Timothy. Mary had Elizabeth. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. And in his book, um, Where is God When It Hurts, Philip Yancey wrote that book, a great book, Where is God When It Hurts. If you're going through a time of discouragement, it'd be a good one, but he writes it this way. He says, no one offers the name of a philosopher when asked the question, who helped you the most? Most often they answered by describing a quiet, unassuming person, someone who was there whenever needed, who listened more than talked, who didn't keep glancing down at their watch, who hugged and touched and cried, In short, someone who was available and came on the sufferer's terms, not their own. Do you have someone like that? Maybe a better question is, are you someone like that? Are you someone like that to somebody else where they needed you to be a friend? And you can watch how God then blesses and they become a friend right back to you. Here's the last thing that I see in this passage in Philippians, how Paul writes it. I think he says it this way. Remember the promises of God. Remember what God has done for you. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply all of your needs. I read an article um, this last week, the week before. Steve and I both found it. We were both talking about it. It was a guy that was writing about the church today. And he was, I thought it was satire at first, come to find out he was really writing um, truthful. And he was talking about how he thought that Christians in the church today relied too much on this book. I was like, really? He thinks we, because the New Testament church didn't have this book. They relied on testimonies and stories And so we should be more like the New Testament church. And sometimes he even said we worship this book. And I want to say, no, I don't worship the book. I worship the author behind it. But I use this book as his words to me. And absolutely, I rely on this book. It's the best-selling book of all time for a reason. There's some good stuff in here. It's past all the tests that are out there for books. 
Jesus even said it this way. He said, this is my word and my words will never pass away. I believe it's a book we should study. It's a book we should read. It's a book we should rely on. We should memorize it. We should trust in it. We should use it over and over and over again because it's full of promises. And to this little church in Philippi, I believe it. I believe that Paul wrote to them and he said, I'm not done with you. This is coming from God. God's not done with you, church. You are the gateway to Europe, this little church in Philippi, and they have to keep sharing the gospel. They have to keep telling others about it because it's up to you to keep spreading the word. So you can do it. So he closed with encouragement to them. But I think 2,000 years later, in a little town, little church in Manhattan, in 2017, he's looking at us saying, in Crestview, I'm not done with you yet. Maybe you've had some issues. Maybe you've had some problems. Maybe you're not perfect, right? Maybe there's issues all around from leadership on down to volunteerism, to your pastor, to whatever. There's, but I'm not done with you yet. You still have a mission. You still have a goal. It may not be Europe. It might be Manhattan. But he says, you can keep doing it. Don't stop. Be encouraged. And my God, my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches. So whether it's us as a church or you as an individual, maybe you have forgotten some of the promises of God and you've come around and you've started to believe the lies and you've said it's impossible. And God says, no, it's not. All things are possible. Maybe you've said it this way. Maybe you said, I'm just too tired. He said, if you're tired, then I'll give you some rest. Maybe you've said, no, nobody really loves me. God says, yeah, I do. I love you. Maybe you've gotten to that point where you said, I can't go on. We just can't do it. I can't go on. God says, then I'll fight for you. But I can't figure things out. It's too much. I can't figure it out. God says, great, follow me. I'll direct your steps. I'll tell you where to go. Maybe you say, then, but I can't do it. I can't do it. And God says, yeah, you can. You can do all things. I'll give you the strength. You say, I'm not able. I'm not able. I can't do it. And God says, yeah, yeah, you are because I am. Because I am able. You are able. But maybe you've given up. You said, it's not worth it. It's just not worth the fight anymore. Jesus says, it will be worth it. Keep fighting. It'll be worth it. But you've done too much and you can't forgive yourself. Maybe you've been there and said, I can't forgive myself. And God says, but I've already forgiven you. But I can't manage it. It's too much. I can't manage. He says, then I'll supply the needs for you. But I'm scared. I'm afraid. And God says, that's impossible. You can't be because I've, I've not given you a spirit of fear. But I'm worried about it. I'm frustrated. And he goes, that's all right. Cast, cast all of that on me. I'll take care of you. But I don't have enough faith. He goes, yeah, you do. Because I've given everyone a measure of faith but I'm not smart enough. He says, that's okay. It's not based on smarts anyway. I'll give you wisdom. That will get you through. But I feel all alone. He goes, I know you might feel like it, but you're not. I will never leave you or forsake you. But I've been persecuted. <laughs> Good, then yours is the kingdom of heaven. But I'm mourning. Okay, I'll give you comfort. But I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. Then that's when you're gonna be filled. But God, I've been insulted. Then great is your reward in heaven. But God, the temptations, when they come, they're just way too strong. 
He goes, I know they're there, but I'm not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You can do it. But I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what's next. He goes, that's all right, because I know the plans. I know what's next for you. But I'm discouraged. I'll encourage you. But I'm weak. Good, because <laughs> that's where my power is made perfect. It's in your weakness. And you get to it and you say, but I, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. He goes, it's all right. You've been saved by grace. And you say it this way. But God, I'm really, really bad at sinning. <laughs> I'm a really bad sinner. And he says this, my grace is sufficient for you. It's where you're at today. If you've been discouraged lately, you've been wanting to give up, if you've forgotten, you know, what God has done, the promises that he has given to you, you said, no, no, we just need to move on. We need to try something else. We need to do something else. No. Find some encouragement in where you're at. Trust in him and what he's promised and what he's given to you. Rely and trust in that and let God bless you through it. Church, he's not done with us as a church. He's not done with you. Wherever he's got you, he's got you there for a reason. So we're going to get ready to um, remember him and the sacrifice that he made. But I want you, if you would, would you stand for me? I want to say a prayer for us. And if you stand, I just, we're going to sing this song. And I want you to trust in the promise that he's made through this. But I want to say a quick prayer. Father, I, I pray for everyone in here. I pray that their hearts just to be encouraged, to be content with where you're, they're at, to change their focus and their minds, to think about something that's positive, to find someone around them to encourage so that they can feel encouraged also, and to trust in what you have made a promise to us. Thank you for those promises. God, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.